T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Report. The CV report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> Sucky. Yeah. <laughs> Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like if we're gonna start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in DC with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The C. Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, in the wake of two tragic shootings in Texas and Ohio, we'll hear about two veterans in Congress who are introducing a bill that hopes to do something about it. And that's why Senator Graham and I are here today to establish legislation that would create a federal risk protection order. In effect, a red flag. This is not about losing your gun rights easily. This is about intervening at a time that would matter. We also have an awesome guest today. She's a veteran, an up-and-coming author, and a woman warrior who will offer a way for veterans to fight the effects of post-traumatic stress and the other challenges they're facing as they transition from military to civilian life. I had to endure that kind of on my own. I kind of feel like my chain of command kind of threw me under the bus. The VA actually denied me to seek counseling unless I felt like killing myself in that moment, in that moment, in that moment, in that moment. Everyone just kind of cut me off. It was like, well, we're not in the service anymore. I'm like, this is the problem. Stand by for an incredible conversation about an incredible series of books entitled Fight by author Betsy Ross. It's all coming up next. All right, and here to look at some headlines is our colleague and Capitol Hill reporter, Abby Bennett. How are you, Abby? I'm good. How are you, Phil? You know what? Not so good. (laughs) The news has just been horrible, awful, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Absolutely. Uh, Between the tragedy in Texas, followed by, you know, less than 12 hours later, another shooting in Ohio. Um, It's tough stuff to look at in the news. And that's why I kind of thought it was interesting today. Uh, We'll talk about two veterans in the Senate that are kind of stepping up to do something about it, or at least start the process here with some legislation. Um, Congress is technically out of session, but talk to me about what's being introduced and who's behind it. Sure. We have a bipartisan bill that is planned for introduction. We actually haven't seen it just yet, but it's from Senator Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat out of Connecticut, and Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican out of South Carolina. This is not the first time they've introduced this kind of bill. They tried last session and it they were not successful. Hmm. 
Senator Blumenthal is a Marine Corps Reserves veteran, and Senator Lindsey Graham is an Air Force veteran. And they are introducing what is called a emergency risk protection order bill. And Mm. basically what that means is if someone believes that a loved one or someone they know is a danger to themselves or others, they can go get what's called an emergency risk protection order, which basically a court case that begins a, a, a judicial proceeding that allows both the person who's believed to be a danger and others to come and testify and talk about the situation. And it can end with that person's weapons being taken from them hmm. to protect others, to protect themselves. And it also has, um, in some states that have already enacted what's these red flag laws. In some states, we've had uh, situations like in Maryland where people have actually been um, able to get mental health help as a result of this judicial proceeding. So like both parties get their day in court. Absolutely. That's very important. Let's listen to a little bit of sound from both Senator Blumenthal and Senator Lindsey Graham. We need to ensure that when law enforcement has solid evidence that someone is in crisis, that they are a danger to themselves or others, there is a process for protecting them and the public that may be at risk. So mentally unstable people with access to firearms is a national problem. It's not a state problem. We see it all over the country. What have I learned from the Parkland episode? that the system failed at multiple levels. And I'm trying to work with Senator Blumenthal and others to address what I think would have been the biggest change of all, giving tools to the community and law enforcement officials to identify this shooter before he shot. He did everything but take an ad out in the paper, I'm going to kill people. 30 visits by the local police to this individual, and nothing happened. That's some powerful discussion there, uh, especially referring back to the Parkland shooting and Lindsey Graham's you know, recollection there that that person was 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 very obviously unstable. Um, I'm thinking about like the second hand or the way this could kind of affect veterans in an unintended consequence. Um, we all fear that, you know, someone would get their guns taken away from them wrongly. Mm-hmm. And. I guess as you've digested some of the news on this, does it sound like there is enough due process built into these things? People do get sufficient chance to like stand in court and defend themselves? I think that that's a major concern and an understandable one, of course, when we talk about um, any kind of gun control laws, um, including these red flag laws, which are in place in some other states already. Really, I think both Senator Blumenthal and, and Senator Graham have been very clear that it's important to them in this bill that it includes extensive due process. Um, We have not seen the text of the bill yet. We do not know the specifics of what it will entail. But really, this bill is to provide grant funding to states to encourage them to write their own red flag laws and then to give them the funding to help support the judicial process so it'd be like money to say, okay, hey, set up, much like we have drug courts, exactly. Uh, set up the red flag courts and be like, okay, here's some money. You can pay your attorneys. You can pay the people you know, in the court system to make these hearings right. and you know, we'll help offset the cost so that your local municipality says, oh, we're too strapped. We don't have the money to do this. We don't have the manpower to do this. Right. Helping get rid of the excuses and keep something 
going. Yes. Put and something it, in action. And it still allows the states to sort of decide what type of red flag law would be right for them and, okay. and to sort of decide the specifics. I would hope that while it gets sorted out in kind of a messy way in a mm-hmm. red flag courtroom hearing, uh, that maybe the person with the mental health needs gets revealed and in a very open and neutral form in a court, a third party and can look at somebody. Form. Yeah, I say a, a third party can look at them and say, ah, you know what? You do sound a little bit unstable or, you know, you're crazy showing. Maybe you need a little help. And it might be the force that gets that person the help. And if that's a veteran who maybe was resistant to getting help mm-hmm. on their own for whatever reason, maybe this might be the one thing that pushes them in the right direction. And, 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 and in that way, that day in court could end up being one of the best days of their life. Because while it started at a low point when they were feeling really bad, addressing the fact and coming to the full realization that maybe they shouldn't have guns in their house uh, would prompt them to go get some help they need, recover, and get right again. Right. You know? So it's just good to see something and having a conversation about something as opposed to uh, just the arguing over two-way rights, right. which I completely support as a gun owner myself. But, you know, I want to have substantive discussions that can help the veterans. Uh, let's talk about something switching gears real quick. Um, speaking of unintended consequence, here's something I would have never guessed that this recent tragedy would affect, but it certainly has. Uh, the upcoming football season. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Navy football has decided to change its motto uh, in light of recent events and the recent uh, gun violence. Uh, their previous motto was load the clip, and they have decided to remove that motto and change it to something else, sort of to to show a level of sensitivity toward what has happened. Mm. Although load the clip doesn't necessarily say Navy to me anyway. So <laughs> we, were, we were just talking about that over the water cooler. You're right. Um, one kudos to our fine officer candidates and, uh, you know, those of at the course. Naval Academy for thinking this way. That's what separates them from, you know, the rest of America is that Absolutely. they are thinkers. They are smart. They are intelligent men and women. And, um, you know, tip of the cap for them to, take into consideration that in this time, in this place, uh, you know, that might be a little much. Right. But to your point, yeah, (laughs) I never thought about load the clip as a nautical thing. I always thought that the big war cries, the big chants they come up with every football season were derived from the uh, service rivalry videos that are made and released about the week before the game. And I know in previous years, it's been like, don't give up the ship or, uh, you know, just some real like nautical maritime kind of terminology. Yeah, Load the clip definitely sounds uniquely army. Yeah, I think we could probably do better than that. What do you think, Phil? Well, it's funny you ask. Yes, I do believe we can do better than that. So uh, 15 seconds on the clock. I've got a few ideas for you right here. Hit me. Okay. Ready? All right. We've already started with don't give up the ship, right? That's a good one. How about fire when ready? Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Or how about because we are sort of, you know, in concert with the Marines, we're a tandem force. How about insert the force? Ooh, very nice. Also sounds kind of skeevy in a very fraternal kind of way. But in a very appropriate way for that branch, you would know, Phil. You, I like the one you suggested, uh, sail it like you stole it. <laughs> Of course, I don't know what that has to do with like a, like I couldn't see that being chanted after a touchdown, but uh, you know, Ooh, I like this one. Uh, Fire when ready. Ooh, I like that one. That one's my favorite. Yeah. Launch the attack. Mm, Very good. Or I could see this one going off and this one has kind of a two way connotation. 
both for the sailors in the stands and the players on the field, but how about get bombed? Ooh, very nice. <laughs> All right. Why don't they just come to us? Abby Bennett, you are the Capitol Hill reporter and uh, great reporter here at ConnectingVets.com. I always appreciate your enlightenment. Thank you very much. And you can follow you at Abby R. Bennett. Thank you so much, Phil. Now, next on the CV report is our guest, Betsy Ross. And before I get into the life story of Betsy Ross, before we get into the three-part book series entitled Fight, I wanted to tell you that I most sincerely stumbled upon her on Twitter. And as I'm scrolling through my feed, I see this, this selfie video. And she's saying what so many GWAT-era vets are feeling, and she's getting right to the core, getting right to the heart. Here's a clip from one of the videos that caught my eye. And seeing family and childhood friends that they met before the military, you know, some things changed, some things didn't. And the person feels different, but they're trying to figure out, do I still belong here? Um, Am I still myself? And things have changed. And then there's that constant internal fight of trying to um, figure out what the past really is and how it's you know reflecting in the now if you will for that individual and sometimes it's hard to find that stability that they can feel themselves and move on in life yeah right that right there I know speaks to so many people so many women so many men so many veterans from this modern era are going to enjoy and really identify with the characters in her three book series So here to talk about it is up-and-coming author Betsy Ross. Betsy, so glad to have you on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Phil. Yeah, so, um, you know, let it out in the lead there that I've kind of been following authors and such on Twitter. And I like to find, like, veterans that are doing things. And when I see somebody get retweeted, uh, you know, once or twice, it kind of gets on my radar. And you, I think I've seen some of your retweets probably by five to ten different people. And I knew there was something going on with this author that I'd never heard of, Betsy Ross. So um, let's start. Tell me a little bit about um, tell me a little bit about you. Where do you come from, and um, how'd you end up becoming an author? Well, I'm actually from I'm born and raised in Texas, and I only served in the army for a couple years before my injury. Uh, but my I, my husband served infantry for eight years, and I guess. After going to school and everything else, I realized transitioning out of the military was actually pretty intense, I guess, for lack of better words. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to be an author, and I figured what better way to try to, I guess, one, help myself through therapy, but try to reach other veterans that are probably struggling the same way I did. Um, of course, when I had gotten home back in Texas, I had found out one of my good friends who I served with uh, committed suicide. And I, it kind of threw me off guard because I was like, wait, here I am trying to go back to school, trying to start over. And someone had committed suicide after I leave. And I'm like, what is what is going on? Why? Why is everyone keep it feels like everyone's just dying around me. And that's not the case. But it just feels that way when it, everything just kind of hits you at once. Oh, sure. Life sure. and school and everything. So I was like, well, what is something that is not being done yet? 
I mean, you, you hear all these resources, you hear the VA has all these resources, you hear these different like Mission 22 and Code of Vets and everything all over Twitter. And they're, they're there. They are there. People are not alone. But what is it that we must be missing? 22 a day of veterans committing suicide. What is going on? And I figured fight was kind of a good way to start in the sense of trying to get that emotional level to readers, including their families, who may not understand what's going on in their veterans' lives. And so that's why I focus on the mentally and emotional side of transitioning out of the military. Of course, everyone has their own story. Everyone has their own circumstances. But for the most of it, it seems like most veterans in the veteran community can relate on some sort of level, regardless of MOS, regardless of rank or gender or anything like that. We all have something in common, and that is typically the transitioning out of the military. Not everyone struggles, but... We kind of feel that emptiness or that, I guess it's like a dread for some people of just starting over completely, going from a structured life to basically complete freedom and not knowing what to do with it. Yeah. yeah. But it can be pretty overwhelming. Mm. And great word too, by the way, dread, because that's kind of a feeling that I think nails it. Uh, It's a word that sort of means this like ominous feeling in your heart. You can dread a test. You can dread being late. You can dread a meeting with your boss you don't like. I mean, dread sums it up and to have a feeling of dread about life about just simply jumping back into a new life you know that almost should never be the case <laughs> a rebooting of your life should feel good it should feel great it should be a thrill and instead it is a dread um for you know for many veterans uh let's right. talk specifically it's a three book series right okay so we got fight one and i'll break it down here we'll go each book and just okay. take, take little snippets from each. But let's talk fight one, okay? Talk to me about the characters yeah. in fight one. How did you tell the story of the returning vet and that dread in their heart and seeing old friends and all those dynamics? How did you how did you put that into action? Uh, the two main characters in fight one are Leslie and John. Their backstory, actually, they met each other while in the military, and then they, when they get out, they actually cross paths again unknowingly. So... Um, that's kind of the backstory on them, but they have different stories. They have different feelings as to what they did. They were different ranks. They were different, of course, one's boy, one's girl. So mm-hmm. it, they have different perceptions on what is going on inside of themselves and their mind and how they feel about their situations. Even though they crossed paths, even though they were there in a certain situation, they react to it differently, especially being maybe years out or uh, John just got out. And so it's like, Everyone has their own level of where they more or less in quotations start right. when they get out of the military, when as far as processing everything that the military does to us. And they kind of focus more on PTSD and how uh, just the basic setup, I guess, of how the mental flow is for different people it's overall. I guess, because truthfully, it wasn't even meant to be a series. So I try to hit all the aspects that I could possibly hit as far as the stereotypes and the stigmas, including within our veteran community. Even within the veteran community, we we don't accept each other. We don't, you know, you do have the, I guess it's more like a playful 
banter between all the branches, you know, oh, you weren't infantry, so you're not a soldier, you know, this type thing. Oh, yeah, no, and, and no, I think we call that ball busting is the technical term. There you and, go. Yeah, no, you're totally <laughs> right, dude. It is a it is a measuring contest among military warfighters, yes. and we are constantly measuring each other and, yes. uh, you know, giving each other some shit about it. So, uh, yes. I think it's very clever how you tried to craft this into a fictional story, how you took real life people the same way, you know, the movies do it for us. I heard Mm -hmm. um, a famous quote by, was it Siskel and Ebert, right? That was the famous movie review guys back in the day. And I forget which one it was, but one of them had, had said that film is an empathy machine. Films allow people to feel feelings they could never normally connect with. And that is what great movie making is about. That's what great characters are about. And I think to an author, to a writer, that is the quest each and every day, you know, for you guys to uh, generate characters and generate situations where the reader that might not know these people can get in their shoes, get in their heads and kind of feel mm-hmm. it. And so I, I, I'm really thankful that you kind of started off addressing PTSD this way, you know, with kind of almost like a love story, so to speak, you know, man, boy meets girl, girl meets boy. Um, is any of this autobiographical for you with Fight One? Because I know that you'd said, uh, you know, that you're a veteran wounded. Uh, and that your husband also, you know, was infantry. Is any of this based on you? Uh, I've actually had people ask that before. And truthfully, yes and no, because it's so psychological and mental. Of course, I mean, any author puts a piece of themselves within their stories. It's kind of inevitable. Now, for me, it was, I would say a good majority of it is as far as how I handle situations, because I have put myself into their shoes, basically. But I have interviewed other soldiers who are willing to share, but, but of course, no names or nothing, you know, specific gets put together for one of my characters. It's more broken up and then put together kind of thing, depending on the different stories I get told. So that way, no one can feel like, oh, well, they're talking about me. You know, I didn't want to do that. So everything was confidential, basically, and every one story got broken up. But at the same time, they, I tried to make it semi-realistic enough to where anyone, regardless of what their experience is, can, can relate to it. I didn't focus so much on detail. I didn't do any of that. So I try to focus just on the mental and emotional anything. Anything can cause a flashback, a song, a phrase. Um, simply walking into, I don't know, a diner that, you know, the smells were just brought up a flashback or something. So it's, I try to use any sensory aspect to someone when they're in a situation that would cause a flashback, even if it's something simple, going about day-to-day things. And so I know all of that affected me, especially as I was trying to get out of the military. I was trying to rationalize everything. I was in a very bad situation on a personal level, and I didn't make the greatest choices, So, but I did over. I did overcome them. I did adapt. And now I am trying to spread that awareness that it can be done. We can survive. Right on. And you do it very well. Um, I've heard you say in other interviews, um, the constant internal fight, the past versus now. And by putting us into situations where like a smell at a diner or a song on the radio might, might trigger a memory or, yes. you know, trigger an emotion. That's that is so good because it's like people on the civilian side can suddenly get it because trauma and drama are not exclusive to the warfighter. We've all had that shit that went down that hurt us. And you can go there in your mind in a second with the right stimulus. And I'm glad that you were able to kind of do that. And I like the words that you use constant internal fight. Um, 
that's really cool. And again, that that'll kind of be like the guts or the meat. That's that's the that's the takeaway for fight one is that it's going to document these two people in this relationship. Well done. Yeah. Um, you get into fight two, and that's where we get into relationships. And you'd kind of just hinted at it before, saying, you know, you you personally have survived and endured, you know, some pretty crappy relationships. Um, share with yes. me what fight two gets into, because I'm going to quote you here in one of your Twitter posts. Uh, one of the videos <laughs> said that it includes uh, the stories of cheating, uh, abusive relationship. Um, Share with me what to expect in fight two and or anything that you'd care to share with me about Betsy Ross and what you've survived and endured. Well, fight two does pick up where fight one ended, Um, but you get more focus on two different characters. Now, throughout the entire series, it's and I understand it kind of can get annoying for some readers, but to gain different uh, perceptions in a situation, I do have to jump around, jump around a lot, but it is a networked effect. So fight two, your focus of two characters are going to be Kent and Ashley. Okay. And they experience negative relationships while in the service. Now that they're out, they have to try to basically move on. But it's, it's a little different, though, because, I mean, you kind of know how the military is. You get put in different circumstances. Even though you're still in the military, even though you you know you've got this personal life, it's still there. And now, then, once the military part comes off, you still have that relationship issue. So it's overwhelming. And I, for me personally, my first marriage was pretty pretty bad. It was very bad, and I had to endure that kind of on my own. I kind of feel like my chain of command kind of threw me under the bus for it, and then. After I had got injured, they basically just kicked me out. But I still had to endure my personal life, and I still had to cope with it on my level. And that was not easy because I I was jumping couches. I couldn't find a job. I couldn't. I was drinking heavily, and the VA actually denied me to seek counseling unless I felt like killing myself in that moment. And in that particular moment, I was more mad that VA denied me than really feeling Title, so it was like okay, well, I guess so. The VA's out for me. They denied me for my nerve injury, so that was out. I didn't really have friends. I moved back home in a familiar place, but I didn't have people who I didn't feel that would understand me on my level. Mm. And even when I tried to reach out to um, some people I had served with, it was more of everyone just kind of cut me off. It was like, well, we're not in the service anymore, or we're not you know, having to be in formation anymore together. So it was like everyone just kind of stopped talking to each other. And I'm like, this is the problem. Veterans need to unite. We know what it what it's like. And I really put the emphasis on that. You'll even see my hashtag on Twitter is Veterans Unite. I, I want to try to motivate leaders and soldiers that we need to check on each other as we're getting out. Yes, we go through those classes of transitioning, but I can honestly say for myself, those did not help me because anything, especially on a mental and emotional level, any type of therapy is ongoing. There is no cutoff time. There is no due date. There is no expiration. It is an everyday battle. And I had to fight that on my own. At least I felt like I did. Mm. And so it was hard. Truthfully, people ask me how I do it, how I did it. Truthfully, I have no idea. I really don't. There was a good handful of suicide attempts. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of stupidity. There was a lot of just bad stuff going on. It was a very dark phase in my life. But 
well, I mean, then I guess I met my husband and it was like my whole life kind of changed. It was like good things just started happening because I finished school. I started a career, started a family. And then the fight series, I was like, I've always wanted to write. What can I write about? <laughs> well, yeah. they, people need to hear this and understand this. This sucks for so many veterans. There's got to be more that we can do together. Right on. And it's powerful stuff. I got to say, Betsy, sharing that stuff with me, that is, um, that's awesome that you were able to come through that. And I want to say, just personally speaking, you've also kind of followed a path where true art comes from. And I don't think that there has been a love song that's ever been penned by somebody that didn't have some pain. Uh, there hasn't been art that has ever exemplified beauty from somebody that didn't see total darkness. And in fact, if you look at some of the greats, uh, you know, whether it's rock and roll or whether it's uh, the Renaissance era paintings, um, a lot of those mm -hmm. artists had to endure some serious shit for some mm -hmm. of the greatest works of art to ever be created. And, Unfortunately. Uh, you know, I think that's just great uh, that you're able to do that and that you're channeling all that in the right direction. And frankly, that the good Lord smiled on you and you got some joy in your <laughs> life because I want you to continue to create Share with me a little bit about how abusive relationships or, you know, that cycle that people can get in uh, can open the door to homelessness. I heard you say that in one of the video <laughs> drops, and I kind of was like, wait a minute, what do you mean can open the door to homelessness? A, a, a bad relationship doesn't just simply end in a breakup. How does it open the door to homelessness? I can't speak for everybody, but for some, it cannot lead to that in the sense of when you're in an abusive relationship, you're already feeling like, the whole world is on your shoulders. You already feel like everyone's going to be against you or judge you in some sort of way. And um, when you want to just start over, but you don't know how, you can literally just walk away from it all. Money doesn't matter. It's not going to help you. It's not going to solve your problems. You know, um, I don't know, a, a new house, a new car, regardless of any of that, you're still going to have those internal battle scars. You're still going to have those memories. You're still going to have all that dread just hanging around. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of want a new start, but there's no new start. It's like if you go to a new job or you go to a new, I don't know, environment, a new town where no one knows your name, you're still going to feel like someone's watching you. Someone's going to know that other person that hurt you. You're, you're going to feel like the whole world is coming after you and that's not the case. But if you, a lot of people will turn to homelessness, homelessness or either going to basically trying to get off the radar because they feel like the whole world is just coming after them. And that's not the case at all. It sounds like reverse psychology, but they basically go into hiding because there's nothing good to see around them. And again, a repercussion or a secondary condition from, from, from something I never would have thought existed. Let's move to fight three because you shine the light on some other really important things. And we, you know, we've hinted a little bit at it and I've experienced this myself, not only with the war fighters I've interviewed in a podcast series called to war and back, but also uh, with virtually every veteran I've talked to that had to walk through the VA's medical program and was given this thing called the combat cocktail, which was like essentially drugs to help them not have so many bad memories and treat their PTSD. Um, fight three deals with drug addiction. Share with me just a yes. little bit about who the characters are and how you present drug addiction as it relates to the American veteran. Well, the two main characters in Fight 3 are going to be Taylor and Ryan. Um, they don't know each other or anything like that. But, but Ryan's going to cross paths with some pretty bad people 
in the sense of he's trying to overcome a tragedy that happened in his military career, and he has no way of coping with it. The alcohol is not enough. The, you know, he he didn't want to uh, go to the VA or anything like that. So he basically turns to drugs, and he ends up in a vicious cycle with that until he comes across with some other other veterans who kind of make him see, you know, you don't have to do that. There are other ways. And then I hate to give away too much, but something no, happens right, 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 and right. he's like, wait a minute. And then he basically recalls how he felt when he was in the military and he was a leader. Um, I, I made Ryan a warrant officer, so he was still able to have that leading personality and it all comes back and he's like, this is like taking care of my soldiers again. And it, it kind of just subconsciously kicks into gear with him. And he eventually pulls himself out of the dark hole he felt like he was in. And he tries to help these other veterans that are hurting. And the story you've just outlined is so accurate and so true and applies to so many people's lives. Um, again, not just exclusive to the military, too, because I've known people that have experienced yes. trauma and drama. And the next thing you know, you know, they're looking for the answer in the bottom of the bottle and the bottom of the bottle in has never got anything in it except, uh, you know. A lot of pain and another bottle on the way. Uh, People try to find it in the form of a pill and you can't take enough pills. They can't make enough pills to fix your soul. Super cool that you've outlined that. Uh, Let's just talk finally the goal of the whole thing. Um, We're dealing here with a lot of stereotypes and they exist for a damn reason. Hell, I've lived up to several of them, uh, including the drunken sailor, because in my 20s I was hell on wheels. I'm not going to lie. I was hell on wheels until I met my wife. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But uh, we talk about those stereotypes. And uh, you'd said in one of your video posts, you want to break up those stereotypes because we can't fight what we don't understand. What's that about? Well, truthfully, since starting this series, I've actually had some backlash from veterans. And it's very, um, I'm like, well, this is the very reason why I'm pointing them out. I'm going to call you out because <laughs> let's face it. There are some bullies. I'm talking about like legitimate, not making fun of like legitimate bullies. No, right. Because right. Of, rank because of, um, uh, of course, um, stereotypically it's usually the infantry, but that's not always the case, but you do get these individuals who kind of feel like they're just badass and bulletproof. And then when someone's struggling, it's like, oh, well, you didn't experience what I experienced. Oh, you weren't there on you know, all that egotistical stuff just comes out. And let's face it, that's not going to help that soldier's in for, um, situation. And so I, I really wanted to basically be blunt about it, including for our the fellow that uh, the families of veterans. This is what's going on. This is what your your veteran is probably facing on a day to day basis. Not only, I mean, they may seem okay on the outside, but internally they could be undergoing some very dark moments. And especially when it comes to even other veterans, the people we're supposed to count on, supposed to be able to relate to, joke about basically anything. There is some very negative vibes. And I know for me, I didn't get to deploy. I didn't get to see the action. So for me to talk about it apparently is a bad thing. And basically every single time someone said that, well, if you're not going to talk about who is, Who's going to point them out? Who's going to talk about this pain that so many are either committing suicide or uh, leading 
hurt soldiers astray in the sense of mentally saying, well, you weren't there or you can get over it. I did. And well, I just drink some whiskey and I get over it and get through my day kind of thing. It's not helping. Everyone has their own story. Everyone has a situation. Everyone has a personal life that they are trying to get on with, but they can't if their own fellow comrades can't be civil just long enough to say, you're right, it hurts, it sucks, but we can do this together. Mm, very cool. And I, and, and I can see that in each one of your posts, too, because regardless of the content of what you're sharing, um, you hashtag Veterans United a lot. Veterans Unite yeah. is part of so many of your posts. You do want them to unite. And talking smack to each other about the level of combat we saw talking smack to each other about maybe you should just toughen up or you don't get me. Um, you couldn't possibly understand. Uh, you're right. That is not helpful. That's not the kind of shit that we need in dialogue. And I'm sure there's been plenty of artists that have painted sunsets they've never seen. <laughs> you know, I mean, For like, sure. I, I, I think you can draw on an experience based on people, <laughs> you know, just as much as stuff you've actually lived through. And you've known warfighters that have seen that. And we're all in a community together where we feel the pain for our brothers and sisters and have heard countless stories about what they were thinking as much as they could express posthumously. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I commend you for writing it. It is stuff that we do need to talk about the three book series. It's called the fight series. And tell me more about where I can find it and how do I get it? Well, fight one is currently available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and audible. So it is on audio. Now fight two is just currently available on, um, just Amazon, uh, in paperback and Kindle, including for fight. It's also paperback and Kindle and audio. Um, but fight three will right now will just be on Amazon and, uh, paperback and Kindle, but it's supposed to be published sometime by the end of the year. if not sooner. Nice. Already published in her third, and uh, I have a feeling good things about to happen to you, Betsy Ross, because you're so sincere, you're so honest about this, and I can tell from your video posts. You know, there's, I know some authors, and I've interviewed some of them that are just brilliant and great, and they're, you know, they're just, you just feel confidence coming off of them in the video, and they're, you know, they're strutting and they got some swag, and I see you, and it's all from the heart. The ones from your car, by the way, I mean, just really, you can yeah. feel the emotion. You can feel it, Betsy. It's so real. I'm, and that's so I'm genuine. Passionate. <laughs> I am. I was definitely the, they say never go full hole, and I was. And um, <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> no, but I, I am very passionate about everything I do. And I wear my heart on my sleeve. But I wanted to focus on veterans. I wanted to help try to bring about that veterans awareness. And let's face it, it's not going away. And I can remember sleeping on couches when I had just got out and I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I had no idea what was going to happen. I just knew life sucked. Hmm. And I want to be able to help veterans on regardless of what level of pain they're on, that it can be done. And nowhere can you see that better than the fight series, the three books available, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, online. Look it up. And Betsy Ross, I hope this is not the last time we talk because Veterans <laughs> Unite, uh, I'm digging what you're putting out there, sister girl. I appreciate that. Thank you.
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.